The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an initiative of the United Church Homes. Welcome to the Art of Aging podcast. Today we're going to meet Mary Tyler, who's been a leader in issues of aging and justice in the Dayton area. Yes, John, Mary is certainly an aging hero of Dayton. Mary is going to talk about some of the challenges African Americans and other low-income people face as they age. Hi, Mary. Thank you for being our guest on The Art of Aging. Yes, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Mary, you have established yourself as a leading voice on a number of issues in this community. Would you mind sharing a bit about your own background? I've had an opportunity and a blessing to be part of the United Way movement uh, for 25 years. I actually started my United Way career in Dayton and was invited to come uh, to work at the United Way in Modesto, California. And from Modesto, I went to Baltimore, worked for the United Way of Central Maryland there. I was invited to go to Winston-Salem. And when my mother's health started to deteriorate, I decided to come home to be her health care provider. And after she passed, then I went back uh, to uh, pursue a president's position at the United Way in North Carolina. And so after 25 years, I retired and then returned home to Dayton, Ohio, back home to cold Ohio. (laughs) And I was really privileged to work for NCCJ, the National Conference for Community and Justice here in Greater Dayton for seven years before retiring again. But I've also had the the great fortune to be a lifelong learner. So I went back to school to finish my four-year degree at 50, a master's degree at 60, and now at 70, I'll be applying for my doctoral program, hopefully at Wright State. Tell me why you were interested in getting a doctoral when you're 70 years old. I still have more life in me and more to do in this community. And so I've always had the desire to obtain a PhD. It's just taken me a little longer than the average person. Mary, you have done a lot of work in the Dayton region related to racial equity, including redlining, which kept black people from purchasing homes in specific neighborhoods. What is redlining and how does it affect aging in the black community? There were a lack of opportunities for individuals to actually purchase a home. And for most Americans, it means it's a chance to build equity and generate wealth. Unfortunately, because of policies and practices in our country, African Americans were not afforded the same opportunities and therefore We're experiencing those wealth gaps today because of those policies and practices that existed. I have uh, one of my uncles in his 90s 
who shared information about his experiences. When I called him because I was working on a project related to redlining, I said, I wanted to just get your thoughts on redlining when it existed. And he quickly corrected me to say it still exists today. But at the time, he described situations where he was unable uh, to purchase a home or get it financed in the greater Dayton area and had to go out of the area. Because of the lack of availability for financing for blacks during that time, we had to rely on other modes of financing. And so there were uh, store owners who actually financed their homes during that time. And that ripple effect is still being played out into today's society. Didn't your uncle have a steady income his whole life? My uncle actually retired after 35 years of working for the GM plants. And so he was well-established, had credit, had always paid their bills on time. And so it was challenging for him to even secure funding at that time. And that's why he had to go to another resource. What are some of the other residual effects of redlining? So when you think about redlining and how it determined where individuals would live and not live, you have a concentrated area of black individuals in certain neighborhoods, and so that system worked, and they still exist there. But it also means that uh, in those neighborhoods there is disinvestment, and certainly because of the wealth gap, individuals don't have the ability to bring uh, the revenue to a major grocery store. Just in the West Dayton area, you had a Kroger's who closed on Gettysburg Avenue, and that was because they didn't feel it was profitable. Although people were spending money, the money they had, hard-earned money they had to purchase uh, groceries. And so as a result of redlining and that concentrated area of where people were forced to live, not just in the African-American community, but even in the East End area where you have some populations of white individuals who are at lower income levels, their concentration also means that there's disinvestment in that neighborhood as well. How does that impact the health of people in these communities? Well, number one, you don't have fresh fruits and vegetables in those stores. It adversely affects their health because they don't have access to those nutritional items. It also means that they are at risk either walking down the street or going back to their home to travel just to get those items. And we have to be really candid here. Older residents are probably more at risk of someone taking advantage or attempting to take advantage of them. And so they have to be extra careful and sometimes travel in pairs or with another person that can walk with them if they have to walk and they don't have transportation. How are older African-Americans impacted by the Social Security system that other people may not be? Well, if you think about during the time 
of building this country, most of the jobs were in service-related type functions that African-Americans took on, and they were the lower-paying jobs as well. And so your income impacts what Social Security benefits you ultimately receive, and you're already starting at a deficit. Because of that wealth gap and those low income wages that many of our older residents uh, had to rely on, that means that their Social Security benefits are much lower as well. In your research with residents of St. Mary's Development Corporation Housing, you have identified some of the major issues that all lower income residents face as they age. What have you learned? Those are individuals who reside in their community who are 55 and older. And we learned some interesting things when we asked them to identify the top concerns they had. Number one was health at the top of the list. Number two was housing. And the third was transportation. Let's talk about health issues. What we discovered when we talked about health, number one was accessibility. And then also the conversations that they had with providers, uh, sometimes challenging talking to them as though they're either a child or talking over their head. In most cases, it wasn't at a level at which they could understand. And so they had to have someone there present or someone to advocate for them. In one of our earlier podcasts, research showed that particularly men benefited from having someone who could advocate for them in health situations. I have a younger brother who is aging as well. And so periodically when I go in for those meetings with his caretaker, I start asking questions. What is available? Only because I'm in the community and I know that there are a wealth of resources and support available, but you have to ask for them. And once they realize that you're diligent, they will help you learn more and direct you to the appropriate authority or organization. But it comes from uh, individuals understanding that everyone doesn't absorb information the same way. And so you have to be a little bit creative in how you get that information out to individuals. A huge problem as we age is the shortage of home health care workers. I think that the pandemic certainly uh, put the spotlight on essential workers and changed the, the way we think about those individuals now. As I understand, a great shortage of home health aides is surprising to me and frustrating that the retail industry has realized they had to increase their minimum wage, but a lot of the home health care aides have not understood that that's important for them to do in order to attract and retain quality individuals. What has your research revealed about housing concerns? Uh, when we discuss issues of housing, it was uh, livable housing, uh, safe housing uh, was certainly at the top of their concern. There is some work that St. Mary's Development Corporation has recently completed that talks about those that are 
uh, rent burden. In our country, there's a standard of paying between 25 to 30 percent for your rent or your mortgage. Uh, in our community right now, we have a significant number of individuals who are paying well into 40 and 50% of their household income just for rent or for mortgage. What about transportation? When we talked with the residents at St. Mary's Development, they indicated that there is public transportation, that RTA comes in their area. However, if they have to go across town, that means at least two buses that they have to take. And if you're carrying items back and forth from the store to get to that bus stop, and then you've got to get downtown to the hub to get a transfer to your other bus, that means you're taking only so much with you. And even though the, the transportation is available so they can get to a market and get some fresh items, it's not like they can get a basket load or a cart load full of items. It's just enough that they can carry in their hands. Do you think the relationship between younger people and older people has changed since you were growing up? My mother, she was one of nine siblings. And all of her siblings uh, migrated from the South to this area. And they were a very close-knit community. They not only were close-knit, but they were absolutely committed to raising children who were respectful to their elders. And that was something I heard as we were growing up all the time, that no matter what happens, you say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You say, yes, sir, no, sir. And if you said anything else, you were chastised immediately, and you remember not to do that again. But growing up then, it was an obligation to take care of older residents in the community. Uh, whenever uh, it was trash day, they didn't have to worry about going to pull out trash or pulling their trash cans back in because the young people in the community did it because we were told to do that. And today, I think it's a little different. Uh, however, I'm still committed <laughs> to working with uh, intergenerational uh, groups to help them understand that those standards and that respect and manners is consistent no matter what generation you're in. I originally met you back in 2019 at the Challenging the Myths of Aging seminar. So you feel ageism is also an important issue. There's a great deal of work being done, not only in our community through the Dayton Foundation and others, but we're working to change the narrative of the contributions of those who are aging in our communities. Helping individuals, first of all, understand that the language needs to change and the perceptions need to change as well. So we are looking to lift up awareness around the language you should use, uh, even the images that you use when you're talking about 
older Americans or older residents, and then also taking stock of the contributions that we bring to the table. Uh, certainly some of us are still in our prime, like myself, who's willing to still be involved in community. So there are a number of us who aren't ready to just retire and sit for the rest of our lives. We want to be active in the community, and we have a great deal that we can contribute to uh, other organizations, nonprofits, the for-profit community, as well as the overall region. Do you encounter much ageism in your community work? It's been interesting uh, as I continue to age when I'm talking to individuals about how to move a particular project or initiative forward in the community, they immediately go to the, the younger generation and suggest individuals who might be ideal and overlook completely the fact that there are individuals my age and older who would be outstanding in helping to resolve that particular issue. So I have to quickly remind them that there are others like myself who are available in this community who can contribute. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation, Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative, and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Delmar Fellow Eric Johnson.